Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Hello. Hello, Chi Alpha. It's good to be here with you guys tonight. Yes, I spent the last week in New York City with this very fun crew up here, and I was just very encouraged to hear about the ways that students all over the world, all over the country were being bold, the people that were introduced to community, the people who were prayed for in the name of Jesus, and just excited for the ways that we get to bring that back here now, um, and that we are all back here together at MNL, and we get to celebrate that together, so it's good to be here with you all tonight. Um, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but today is actually an extra special day because it is Pi Day, March 14th, 3.14. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Amanda Fricky, and yes, I'm a nerd. I geek out over Pi Day. <laughs> but I am also on pastoral staff with Chi Alpha, and I am really excited to be speaking with you all tonight. We are continuing our series on the book of Acts, um, The Way Forward. Um, A little bit about me. I studied biomedical engineering as well as Ryan, Um, so that might explain some of my excitement about math. Um, I graduated from UVA in 2018, and I have been working on staff with Chi Alpha since then. Um, So I have always loved math, and my dad knows how excited I get about things like Pi Day. So that was actually a gift that he texted me this morning, that the picture that was shown earlier. Um, But one year, he actually went above and beyond, and he ordered me a special gift for Pi Day. He went online, and he made a mug with a design on it that has the digits of pi and the ratio, and it's one of my favorite mugs. Um, But it was this really, really simple thing, but it was something that I hadn't expected. It was a pleasant surprise, and so it made me smile. Um, And it's funny how unexpected things like that can be so sweet, that they can be so special. My dad had given me a birthday gift probably every year of my life, but somehow this mug that he gave me for this insignificant holiday left a strong mark of joy and appreciation in my memory because he had gone beyond what I had expected. And there have been other times that my dad loved me by doing more than I had expected, too. Uh, One time that comes to my mind particularly, he was going um, to buy himself a new phone on Black Friday. And my phone had been having some issues, the battery life had died, um, so he had told me that I could have his old one when he came back. So when he came back from the Verizon store, several hours later, he walked up to me and he had this gift that was wrapped. And I, I rolled my eyes at him. I thought he was making this big deal about me opening the gift of his phone, that it was a gift. It wasn't just a hand-me-down because I was the youngest child and was used to so many hand-me-downs. But here I was like, okay, Dad, I got to open the gift, I guess. But as I opened it, I realized that he had gone beyond what I had expected, that he had actually bought me a new phone on Black Friday, and I was completely blown away. That was not what we had talked about and was far beyond what I expected. I didn't just have a functioning phone, I actually had this upgrade, and I was so incredibly thankful to him. Um, And this moment has always stuck with me as I think about the gifts of our Heavenly Father, though the gifts that He wants to give us, that this was a picture of what my earthly father gave me, but our Heavenly Father wants to give us so much more. In Luke 11, Jesus tells the people, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? 
or if he asks for an egg, will give you a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So before spring break, Pete used these verses, and we also looked at Acts 2, and we talked about the day of Pentecost, when God did give his Holy Spirit, and he poured it out to all believers. Jesus had told the disciples that he would send the Spirit. He had told them to expect good things from our Heavenly Father, and now he had come through. He'd done it. So what do they do now? What does this mean for the way forward for the early church in Acts, now that they go with the power of the Holy Spirit with them? What can they expect And what does that mean for the way forward for us? What can we expect from Jesus, from our Father, from the Holy Spirit? In the passage we are going to look at tonight, the people at the temple in Jerusalem are challenged to redefine their expectations in response to the Holy Spirit's power. And as we read the story of this miracle, I think we will be challenged to redefine our expectations and to see that with the infinite goodness and greatness of God, we can always expect more than we even dare imagine. So let's jump in. We're in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. So let's set the scene just a little bit here. It's three in the afternoon, so Peter and John are among the crowd of people that are all coming to the temple for the evening sacrifice. And here's this man, we don't know his name, but we know that he has been lame since birth. So he has always been dependent on others to provide him with his livelihood. His friends carried him to the temple to beg every day, and he depended on the charity of the people coming in and out of the temple. We're told in chapter 4 that this man has been begging at the temple gate for 40 years. So it's hard to imagine how it would feel to be in this position. But take a moment to picture yourself in his shoes, asking people for money day after day as they come into and out of the temple but never able to go in himself. It's hard to say how many people would give to him, how many of them would be compelled by their visit to the temple to give him their charity as they see the need. But no matter the answer, I can only imagine that the man had become used to frequent disappointment. He received enough to continue asking his friends to bring him back to the same place, but each day probably felt uncertain. Each person passing by was an uncertain encounter. Would he be acknowledged with a small offering, or would he be completely ignored? Would he be ridiculed for his apparent sin at having been born lame? Would anybody even speak to him before his friends came back to carry him home at the end of the day? That's a lot of uncertainty to sit in, not knowing for each interaction. And I don't know about you, but I find uncertainty really challenging. It's uncomfortable, and if I sit in it for long, I find myself getting worried and anxious, trying to grasp for anything that I control, can control and be certain about, just to resolve that sense of the unknown. But when that gets too exhausting to try to control or anticipate every possibility, I think a very natural response to so much uncertainty is to develop indifference. 
If we convince ourselves that we don't care, then we don't feel the discomfort of the unknown that drives us further and further into that worry and anxiety. It's a way of protecting ourselves. In the case of the lame man at the temple gate, indifference would protect him from the daily worry of having enough to survive. It would protect him from the pain of frequent disappointment and rejection as people pass him by and ignore him. Disappointment is painful. And if we live with that pain day after day, like the man at the gate did for 40 years, then lowering our expectations or callousing ourselves to a point of indifference can feel like the only option to escape the pain while still continuing to move forward. Indifference would allow the man to call out and to ask for money, but to keep his eyes downcast so he wouldn't really see the stares of the people passing him by. The man is expecting to scrape by with the charity of the people, but he's ultimately expecting to be ignored by the community around him because that is a safer, less painful expectation. But let's see what happens as we keep reading. Picking it up in verse four. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. So these people aren't ignoring him. It's now safer for him to expect that they are going to give him something. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Wow, what a roller coaster and what a miracle. The man at the gate goes from expecting to be ignored to expecting some amount of charitable contribution to expecting and experiencing a whole new life. He is physically healed. He is able to enter the temple and he's able to be in right relationship with God and praise him and worship him. Everything about his life has changed. In just these few moments, his expectations are rapidly redefined and fulfilled beyond anything he thought was possible. Now, I would say that is quite a pleasant surprise, wouldn't you? (laughs) There is something in this man that seems to burst with excitement as he literally steps into this reality that is so much greater than he had expected. And this is something to be celebrated. And we get a sense that the man's joy and excitement is contagious. So let's keep reading to see how the crowd responds to the lame man's healing. We're in verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? So the people are filled with wonder. They are amazed. They are astonished. I mean, who wouldn't be? This miracle is amazing. It is wonderful. So why then does Peter respond in the way that he does? Fellow Israelites, Why does this surprise you? He seems to think that they shouldn't be surprised. And why not? I think it might have something to do with expectation and the difference between faith and amazement. See, when Luke says that the people are amazed, 
He implies that they are impressed, that the miraculous has aroused their interest, but they haven't responded personally to what this means. They aren't expecting the same power to heal and to save, to be present in their own lives through faith in Jesus Christ. So like on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches to the gathered crowd to explain the power behind the miracle, the significance of the miracle. So Peter said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. So he connects Jesus directly to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the fathers of Israel. And he explains how Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. Peter goes on to walk through how he disowned Jesus, how he handed him over to be killed, but how he was raised from the dead and that he fulfills all that was foretold through the prophets of the Older Testament. So through the generations, the Israelites have been told to expect the coming Messiah, the one who will bring miraculous power and new life by the Holy Spirit. Yet here they are, surprised and astonished, when exactly that is what is happening in front of them. When Peter says, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? He's really crying out, what did you expect? He looks at his fellow Israelites and says, you know the God of Israel. You're at the temple to worship him right now. Is this healing not what you would expect from our God? If we say that our God is the God who saves, do we not expect him to save? If our God is the God who provides, do we not expect him to provide? Our God is the God who heals. Do you not expect him to heal? See, our expectations say something about who we believe God is. But often we let our expectations fall because we don't want to be disappointed. How often do we allow our view of God to shrink to avoid the potential pain of unmet expectations? Because expecting something is risky. How often have you expected something in this world and not gotten it? Maybe it was something small, like a video game or a doll that was at the top of your wish list for a Christmas or birthday, but then it wasn't under the tree on Christmas morning. There's always this moment on Christmas morning that actually surprises me. No matter how many exciting gifts have been opened, there always seems to be this moment of disappointment. And usually it's brief, usually there's enough excitement going on to distract from it. But the moment that when the kids realize that all the presents have been opened, there's this moment when they realize that there's something more that they were hoping for. Maybe it was the toy they had seen the older kids playing with on the bus, but their parents didn't get it for them because it wasn't age appropriate or was out of the budget for that year. Or maybe it was the thing they hadn't told anybody they wanted because they just wanted to see if Santa still somehow knew. Or maybe it's not anything specific. Maybe it's just this general feeling that all the toys in the room don't fill them in the way that they thought they would walking into the hype of surrounding Christmas. They feel this brief moment of sadness, of disappointment, 
before being redirected to the new rollerblades or other things that they got that they can happily explore and play with. But that moment of sadness is just a hint of the disappointments that we face in life more broadly. There are things that we want that we can't put on a Christmas list and that we can't expect or even hope for to be wrapped on birthdays. We want to get the internship that will lead to our dream job. We want to meet somebody that we can fall in love with and that will love us back. We want chronic or even terminal illness to be healed. We want more time with the people that we love. But wanting these things, expecting these things, is incredibly risky because the disappointment is painful, I know. And the only way we see to protect ourselves from the pain of that grief is to lower our expectations. We think the only way that we will be okay without these things we want is if we prepare ourselves now by becoming indifferent. We resolve the uncertainty as quickly as possible, even if that means we don't, get, we don't expect to get what we want. Because that way, we can prevent the double whammy of the discomfort of uncertainty, followed by the pain of disappointment. And then, if what we want does happen, isn't it better to just be pleasantly surprised? But this is where Peter challenges us in the wake of the lame man's healing. What did you expect? When we protect ourselves by lowering our expectations, what we say we believe about God does not match what we functionally believe. If we say that we expect God's best, and then in action, we don't expect him to heal, we don't expect him to provide, we don't expect him to save, then we are not communicating who God is to the world around us. I find it interesting that Luke doesn't tell us the lame man's name. So this past week, being in New York City for spring break and reaching out to people living on the streets, I found myself thinking back to this passage and the interaction between John and Peter and the lame man. See, when we brought blankets and socks, toiletries and snacks to those in need, our goal wasn't to just give out the stuff and then leave the person. Our goal was to use those items as tools to engage in conversation in the hope that they would see and experience God's love in the interaction. That having a moment where they are seen and known by people would help them believe us when we tell them that there is a God who sees them and knows them and loves them. One of the first things we would do is to ask them their name. And often it was that moment when they would look up and we could look into their faces, we would make eye contact, and we would say, hello. Hello, Nathan. Hello, Mary. Pete says, disappointment. Can you hear me? Is this good? Okay, cool. Um, yes, we would say their name. We would say, hello, Nathan. Hello, Mary. And in that moment, they are not an invisible beggar on the street. They are a person. We are able to engage with their stories, engage with them, and share God's love with them. But this is why I was surprised that in Luke's telling of the story, we don't get the beggar's name. Peter tells the man to look at him, because he does see him fully as a person. He does show him dignity in that way. He's not being ignored or simply flinging a donation his way. But I think Luke doesn't tell us the beggar's name because he wants us to focus in more on Jesus's name. As Peter speaks to the crowd, he emphasizes that the healing was done by faith in the name of Jesus. 
See, a name is more than a label. It is a definition of character. Names are our way of understanding people. They are not standalone words, but rather they bring to mind the memories and associations that we have with a specific person and our relationship with them. Think about the name of a family member or a close friend. It's not just a generic name when you hear it. You see their face. You remember the last conversation you had with them, the way they make you feel. Maybe you wonder what they're doing right now. But names were even more significant in ancient times. They were more than a label. They were revelatory of the nature of a person and their circumstances, of their identity. This is why God renamed Abram, meaning exalted father, to Abraham, father of many nations, when he made his lasting covenant with him. And later on in the book of Acts, we'll see Saul change his name to Paul when he encounters Jesus and starts following him. In the Old Testament, the Israelites have many names for God, but they are all meant to communicate something about God's character to the nations around them. Some are descriptions of who God is. There are also names that talk about what God does. Our God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And Yeshua, which is where we get the name Jesus, the God who saves. So we can rightly expect these good things because they are part of God's character. They are a part of his name. When we speak God's name, we are not only communicating with him, we are declaring his character to the world around us. So to be effective witnesses, we must raise our expectations to match the fullness of God's character and who he says he is. We expect God to heal because he is the God who heals. We expect God to provide because he is the God who provides. And we expect God to save because he is the God who saves. And this is part of the Spirit's empowerment for witness in us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are given this gift of boldness, of expectation, of faith to see God do these things. In verse 16, Peter says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that is completely healed, as you all can see. The message translation says, by faith and faith alone. What's interesting is that Peter doesn't even take credit for the faith. He says that the faith itself comes from Jesus. It's not something that we have to muster up on our own, but it is part of the gift that Jesus gives by the power of the Spirit. And as Peter addresses the crowd, we see that amazement and wonder are not the same as expectation and faith. The crowd is impressed by the miracle. It arouses their interest. But by the Holy Spirit, Peter calls them to repentance. He calls them to turn to God, to expect forgiveness, expect refreshment, and expect salvation and healing because of who God is. And in response, we see 5,000 people move beyond the amazement and wonder and step into expectation and faith in Jesus. So does this mean that every prayer will be answered? That every good desire will be fulfilled this side of heaven? That everything will be easy? No. (laughs) And that's not what Luke is saying, and it's not what Peter is saying to the crowd either. In fact, we're going to see quite the opposite. Immediately following this healing, Peter and John are put in prison, and followers of Jesus followers of the way, as the church was called at the time, will continue to see more and more persecution throughout the book of Acts and beyond. 
But the way forward is not to lower our expectations in response, in response to hardship. Instead, the Spirit empowers for witness by calling us to redefine our expectations. We expect that God wants to give us good gifts, that he can do the miraculous, and that we will experience his fullness and joy no matter our circumstances. So if this is the God we follow, what do we expect? We need to redefine our expectations to match the infinite greatness and goodness of our God. More specifically, we need to raise our expectations because our God is infinitely good. And this faith, this expectation, is something we are then able to offer to the world around us, like Peter and John offered it to the beggar. Remember what Peter said to the man right before commanding him to walk. He said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In that moment, he is offering the man faith. He is offering the man the power of his own expectation, an expectation and faith that come from Jesus. And he offers this sense of expectation along with his hand to lift him to his feet. Now, a lot could be said about how we apply what we, that we, what we have to offer to others, not only our riches and our finances, but our attention, our time, our faith, our expectation, um, and we're coming off of a week where we've, many of us have done just that on spring break trips. We have given our time, we have given our attention, um, we've given our parts and service to others. Um, but tonight, I want us to focus in on what it means to receive that expectancy, to receive that faith. Because like Peter, we can only offer what we have. We can only offer what we have received. So maybe you're here and you've never received this gift of faith from Jesus. Can I tell you, he wants to offer it to you tonight. He wants you to call upon his name and he will offer you his own solid faith and expectation in what God the Father has to give you. Because he is Jesus, Yeshua, the God who saves. And that is the ultimate gift that he wants to give each and every one of us as his children. I promise. So take a minute and let him take your hand so that you can run into the temple praising God with a faith and a joy that seem greater than even your greatest expectations could be. As we turn to our closing, I want all of us to ask ourselves a few questions. What do you believe about God's power and character? Do you believe he is all-powerful, that he can do the impossible and the unimaginable? Do you believe he is good, that he wants to do amazing things in our lives to bring healness, healing, and wholeness, and joy? And secondly, what do you expect? Are you surprised or amazed when God shows up like the Israelites were at the temple? Or do you expect the Holy Spirit's power the way Jesus promised it? And third, putting those together, where do you need to redefine your expectations to match God's power and character? Have you lowered your expectations to protect yourself from disappointment? Because if so, when you look at God's character, you can see that you don't have to protect yourself because he is our protector. It's who he is. So as I go ahead and invite the worship team up, I want us to recognize the connection between our prayers and expectations and our worship. 
This past week in New York, our team went to a prayer service at the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and I was intrigued by how intertwined worship and prayer were throughout the night. They didn't just open and close in worship, but they flowed right from intercession into worship. They sang, glorify your name as worship flowing out of prayers, the prayers are of great expectation. So that's how I want us to close tonight. Worship that flows out of expectation. Take some time to reflect, to allow the Holy Spirit to fill you with expectant faith. Maybe even feels risky. And then out of that expectancy, declare and worship his goodness, his greatness. We can trust God because he is good. So good, in fact, that no matter how great we allow our expectations to be, he will infinitely surpass them. Isn't that incredible? We don't have to give up the delight of being pleasantly surprised when we raise our expectations because God's goodness will always surpass even our greatest expectations. So let that be our witness as we go forward to proclaim and expect the goodness of our God. Yes, God, we praise you and we thank you for your goodness. God, we say that we expect to see your goodness because it is part of who you are. And that as we declare your goodness to the world around us, that we do that for your glory, for the glory of your name. God, you are Jesus. You are the God who saves, that you have healed us, you have made us whole, and that we want to walk out in that, in that wholeness, in that fullness, whatever our circumstances, that we get to do that with you because you have made us complete. So God, let us glorify your name as we expect good things from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And now for the benediction. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he make his face turn towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, and have a good week. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.